Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 5th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Birth of the Savior, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Our friend Zechariah has spent the last 10 months unable to speak, unable to hear after his interaction in the temple. And I think in those 10 months, God got a hold of his heart and maybe helped him realize, Zechariah, you're gonna be, your smaller story is gonna gonna change significantly with the birth of this child. But I'm doing something much bigger. Because Zechariah's prayer is not gonna be fixated on his smaller story. He's gonna give praise and glory and honor to God's much larger story. And I think there's some encouragement in there for us. We're down here in the midst of our smaller story and we are sitting on the street looking at a bunch of buildings and having no idea what the future holds, what's on the other side or where we are going. And the God of the universe is up there 80,000 feet above writing a much larger story and we're just a part of it. Because when we find ourselves in those moments and we're panicked and we're afraid and we're anxious and we don't know what's going on and we feel out of control, there's great comfort to know that the God of the universe is looking down upon us going, I got you, I'm in this. Today we're talking about the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. We're not doing it with the frills because we're focused in completely on Jesus and the reaction to his birth. You know, he is the most important part about Christmas. He is the reason for the season. The very word Christmas even describes his mission, you know, Christ meaning Messiah, mass meaning sacrifice. If you, if you have any, you know, inkling back to Catholic tradition, you'll know that every week they, 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 they remember, they have a mass. Well, the mass is all about remembering the sacrifice, his death. And so Christmas is really all about, I mean, if you really want to define it the right way, Christmas is the Messiah's sacrifice. It's all about a baby that came to die for us. You know, back in chapter one, we remember that, it, that the Holy Spirit visited Mary, and now we get to chapter two, and you're gonna see that God is going to move the most powerful human being on the planet, Caesar Augustus, to do his will. Now, we know that because God has already decreed or already declared that it was going to happen. In fact, 700 years before the birth of Christ, in Micah chapter five, it tells us that. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. You see, Isaiah 42 tells us that where God says that I declare things before they happen. Well, that is exactly what God has done here. He has declared that his son, Jesus, will be born in Bethlehem. So here's the question. How does God then get Joseph and Mary more than a week's worth of journey ahead of them while she's pregnant? How does God get them to go on a journey? I mean, it's not a time for a vacation. Well, the answer is you simply have God decree and his decree prompts Caesar to make a decree. 
See, all you do is you take the most powerful leader in the world and, and he decides on his own that he needs a little bit more tax money and declares a census and then he'll, he'll declare you know, something that needs to happen and God's will will happen through the whole process. This is something that the Bible talks about. I mean, on a regular basis, in Proverbs chapter 21.1, it tells us that the king's heart is like, like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. I mean, if you think about it, it's like cupping your hand like this and putting a little bit of water. You could take and move that around any way you want to and what the passage is telling us, what Solomon is telling us there is that that is exactly the way every human heart is. God can change it and move it. That's why we encourage you to pray for our leaders. God doesn't have a problem with moving anyone from either side of the aisle. So let's kind of jump into the passage here. I would encourage you to, to grab a Bible whether maybe you have to use your phone if you need to or get your Bible out, go to Luke chapter two and follow along with us because we're gonna start off with the context here, first of all, in the first seven verses. Look what he says here in verse number one. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, a decree in this case was a little bit like a presidential order. I mean, it's going to happen. And in this case, with, with Caesar Augustus, it was absolutely going to happen because nobody on earth had this guy's power. He ruled most of the known earth. In fact, here's the interesting thing. He ruled his entire time in peace. And the reason why he ruled in peace, no one would even think about taking him on. That's how powerful the Roman Empire was at that time. There were no revolts. There were no wars. There, were no, there was nothing in that time. So he continues to just keep expanding. But you know what? If you understand what that expansion means, every time you want to put in a garrison and put soldiers there, or every time you want to put in a road and you have to do that, that costs money. And so money meant for him, he needed to increase the tax revenue. How do you increase the tax revenue? Declare a census. Find out where everybody's at, where they're from, and so they can, you know, who they're who they going to tax. Look at verse two. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, this is a really important verse there because it actually sort of gives us this picture of what's going on. It gives us a timetable of what's going on. But it's also really important because there's one word in there that looks like a nothing kind of a word, which is actually a really important word. It's the word first. It's the Greek word protos. Protos typically means first, but it also means just before. So this is why this matters. Because during that time, a lot of historians would say, well, wasn't Saturnus, wasn't Saturnus sort of the, sort of the, the, the governor of Syria at that time? He was. But, but Rome also had this plan where they would take sort of the junior leader coming along and they would put them alongside the senior leader and they would govern little bits of it until they got more and more until ultimately they would take over. So either way, whether they're ruling together in a kind of a thing like this or whether it happened just before he took over, you have the timetable. Look at verses three and four. It says, and, and all went to be registered, each up to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house in the lineage of David. So Luke here gives us a description of what was required of the people. And by the way, if you understand a map of Israel, you'll understand that if, you, if Israel looks sort of like my hand like this, you know, Galilee is up here 
and, and Bethlehem is right down here, right by Jerusalem. So officially, you're going down, but because it's up in elevation, Galilee would be at sea level. You know, Bethlehem, Jerusalem are gonna be 3,500, 3,800, something like that feet. So in a sense, it'd be like if, if you drove down to Tucson and you, you, know, you wanted to go down, and on, on paper, you'd go, I'm driving down to Tucson, but actually in elevation, you're driving up to Tucson because it's higher than we are. Look at verses five through seven. Because now we're gonna see that Mary's moment is gonna come just like Joseph thought it would. Verse five says this. He says, and to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So God had decreed that Joseph and Mary are to go to Bethlehem where Jesus is to be born. God's decree moved Caesar's decree. Let me see if I can help you understand what this really looks like. Uh, this, this past Christmas, our small group was meeting and, and um, one of the people in our small group, Jim McGuire, one of our elders, he read from this book called Intimate Moments of the Sa- with the Savior. Right, and Ken Geyer wrote this thing, and he sort of paints the picture. See if you can catch the context here. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from the influx of travelers. The inn is packed. People feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. Now it is late, and everyone is asleep, and there is no room. Fortunately, the innkeeper is not all shekels and mites, True, his stable is crowded with guests' animals. But if Joseph and Mary can squeeze out a little privacy there, they were welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he says. And as he does, a chorus of barn animals noisily make note of the intrusion. The stench in the barn is pungent. So many guests to take care of, there has been no time to clean up after the animals. They light a small oil lamp that the innkeeper lent to them. Other than the stars that the baby that is in Mary's womb created, that lamp is their only light. The stable is disquieting place for a woman in the throes of childbirth. She is far from home, far from her family, and far from what she expected the birth of her firstborn would be like. But Mary has no complaints. It is a relief just to finally get off the donkey She leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing stronger and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable, not a minute to lose. Quickly, the feeding trough would have to do for a crib. Hay would serve as as mattress. What about blankets? Blankets. Oh, my robe, that would do. And those rugs hung out to dry would help The birth would not be easy either for the mother or the child. A scream from Mary cuts through the calm of that silent night. The top of the baby's head has already been pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all of Judea, does his best to calm her. Joseph places a garment under her. her. And a final push and a long sigh of labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. His head elongated from the constricting journey through the birth canal. 
mucus in his ears and his nostrils, wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid. The son of the most high God is umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. The baby chokes, coughs. Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries as every baby does. Mary lays lays him on her chest and he turns and for the first time his eyes fix on his mother's and tears pull up in her eyes. She touches his tiny hand, the hand that formed everything that she knows in life, is now clinging to her finger. Together, Mary and Joseph stare in awe at the baby, whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It has been a long journey. The king is tired. And so with a barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into humanity in this little town of Bethlehem That one silent night, the royal birth of God's son came quietly as the world slept. The most significant birth in all of history happens. It sets the context for me. What God the Father allowed his son to go through, to come into this world. Now, if you've got your Bible open, chapter two, we're gonna look at three different reactions to this birth, okay? Three different reactions. The first one is the angel's reaction. Starting in verse eight through verse 12, he says this, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, if you remember back in chapter one, you'll remember that the first person the angel came to was Zacharias. Told him it was gonna come happen. And then the angel comes to Mary. Then to Joseph. But now you get to chapter two, And the angel comes to shepherds, lowly shepherds. I mean, if they had a caste system, the shepherds would have been the lowest of the low, and yet God sent the angel Gabriel to them. And think about this, he doesn't even bother sending him to the rich and the powerful. There is no Gabriel, no angelic visit that goes to King Herod. There is nothing that goes to the the priests whether, you know, whether they're the Sadducees or the Pharisees, none of them get a visit. None of them get told. Nobody shows up where the Romans have their garrison. Not the generals, not, not the governor, not any of those people. Nobody gets the word, but God sent Gabriel to the shepherds. You know, if you know your biblical history, I will tell you that God seems to love shepherds. Moses. The perfect example, maybe the biggest, most important name in Israel's history, he was herding sheep when God called him in what we would now say is modern-day Saudi Arabia, the Midian Desert, when God called him to serve him. King David, another incredibly important name in Israel's history, he he was out with the sheep. When, When the prophet came looking for who was going to be anointed the next king of Israel, 
He comes in and looks at all of his brothers. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. Is this it? Is this all you've got to his dad, Jesse? He goes, well, I've got one more, but um, he's just, you know, he's not much. He's out with the sheep. Bring him. He sees him. You're going to be the king. And you know what David does? I got to go back to the sheep. Amos, the prophet, was a shepherd. So what do the angels here come along and then say to the shepherds? Verse 10 tells you here, fear not. Now, I want to be really clear about this. Make no mistake, they were terrified. I mean, if you were, think about it for a second. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's just pitch black dark and you can't hear anything, you don't see anybody approaching you, you don't hear the footsteps or the conversations or anything like that, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, these these. For all intensive purposes, you know, complete strangers, they don't know anything about them, they've never seen these people before, they show up, and by the way, they're glowing. No one sits there and goes, oh, what's up? No one does that. Of course you'd be scared. I mean, you're, you're falling down to the ground, terrified that something is going to happen. In verse 11 then, the angels tell them why they don't need to be afraid. They said, because this baby is the Savior, Christ the Lord. The word that Luke uses here, Savior, is the Greek word soter. Just to give you an idea, if you were to go to Bible college or seminary and you studied theology, one of the things that you would, one classes you would have to take is a class called soteriology, the study of how you were saved. Well, according to verse 11, How we're saved here is this baby born in a manger. That's how we're saved. By the way, the angels here don't tell us that Jesus will one day become the Savior. That he'll grow into it or at his baptism, you know, God will give him some special thing. This is the Savior. He was the Savior before he came in the flesh. He was the Savior when he was in Mary's womb. He was the Savior when for 33 years he walked on the earth. He is the Savior now. He will be tomorrow and forevermore, which is exactly why you and I have complete confidence in him when he says, I love you and I'll never leave you, that you can trust him. Verse 12 says the angels gave the shepherds a sign of where they can find this baby. You'll find him lying in a manger, a feeding trough. Now, whenever I'm studying, I, I, you know, everybody has sort of their own way of studying. I tend to write questions for myself. Questions that I think that I need answered and I would think maybe other people need answered as well. So as I'm studying along, I'll just write a big question. Well, so as I'm studying this, my question is, why did Jesus come so humbly? Why not come as the king? Because here's the thing. He is the king. Why didn't he come as the king? I mean, he could have come to Jerusalem. You know, Revelation 19 says when Jesus comes back, there will be no doubt about the fact that he is the king because written on the side of his leg is king of kings and lord of lords. So he is the king. Why did he not come like that? And the answer is his mission. The humility fits his mission perfectly. Paul, when he wrote 
2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verse 21, he said this. He says, for our sake, he, talking about God the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Father allowed the Son to come to this earth to take our sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. His mission was to come and to provide the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that has always been God's decree. Again, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah told us this exactly. In Isaiah 53, in 53, 5, he says, for he was pierced for our transgressions. Not his, he had no transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You want to know what that means? With his wounds we are healed. When Jesus went to the cross and died, it allows us to have new life and to be holy. That's the only way you and I get healed. That's the only way you and I get life eternal. The only way. 53.6 says, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 53.7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Verse 10 says, and yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief, if he would offer himself as a guilt offering. It was always God's decree, always God's plan that his son would come and die for us. That if we would just trust him, we would become the righteousness of God. He took our sin so that we could take his righteousness. See, Jesus came not to be accepted, but to be rejected. Not to be crowned, but to be killed. Not to bring judgment, but to bear our judgment. He came to take the rejection that you and I deserve. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. And says, suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, anytime you see the word suddenly, based on what I told you before, you know, like when the angels show up, you know, there's gonna be great fear that's gonna happen out of that. Suddenly, a multitude of the heavenly host appear. So now there's not just like one or two, you know, shining, you know, with the glory of God. Now there's this whole army full. They come praising God, singing glory to God in the highest. You know, but that, it's so interesting here because that word host means army. And where that comes from is, in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, it talks about the heavenly host, this army of God, surrounding the throne. And now you see this army of God in Bethlehem. You know what that really makes me think? It makes me think that that feeding trough with all of its faults, as smelly as the whole thing was, had become the temporary throne of the king. The angel mentions peace, not peace between nations. 
I have news for you. There will never be peace between nations as long as human beings rule. There will not. We're selfish as human beings. The issue here is peace between us and God. And if you don't think you need this, you're the very one that does. Peace between us and God. A peace that comes with understanding why God has me here, why God would do this. An understanding of my purpose. A peace that gives us confidence that God is in control. Israel has been waiting thousands of years for this peace to come. And now the army of heaven shows up at the manger and they begin to praise the Son of God. It says there in the passage that they're singing glory to God in the highest. That word glory there, the word there is doxa. Does that sound like a religious word you've heard before? Doxology? That's what they were doing. They're declaring the glory of God. Here's the thing. Every single time you and I stop and open up God's word, and you recognize who we are and who God is, you ought to praise. We ought to worship God. Good theology should always lead to good doxology, to praising God. Now there's a second reaction here in verses 15 through 18, and that's the reaction of the shepherds. Look what he says. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. In other words, they don't just hear the thing and go, oh, that's so cool. That's really cool. See ya. No, the news of Jesus changes a life. When I heard the gospel story, I'll never forget. I, 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 was, I was there and the gospel came out and then the guy says, hey, if you want to receive Jesus, get up and come forward. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I'm walking forward in front of all these people and the next thing I know I'm going... Why? Because I'm not in control of my heart anymore. They got up and they left. They went to go find Jesus. Verses 17 and 18, it says, they shared, they told everyone, and they were astonished. They shared about Jesus, which, by the way, is one of the main you know, themes of the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it tells us that the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to to serve, but to be served, and he came that he might uh, reach out and, and, and share the gospel with every single person there. That's his plan. And he uses us. There's a third reaction. Verse 19 tells us this, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, every Christmas we read that. You ever thought about that? Again, I was just, you know, sitting as I'm, I'm working through the passage, I'm trying to think this one through a little bit. You know, think about this for a second. How long did they stay there? How long do you think they maybe stayed there, you know, at the manger? I don't think very long. I mean, think about it. When, when you had friends that were having in that baby you know, age right there where they're starting to have kids and your friends have a baby and you go and see them at the hospital and, you know, maybe you bring a little present and you go see them, how long do you stay? A couple of minutes? You know why? Because the mom doesn't want you there right now. <laughs> Look at me. Come on. You know, the baby's crying. I don't know these people. 
The dad's going, I'm really tired. Can I get a sandwich? I mean, we, I mean, you know, this is, and so you go in very, you know, politely, lovingly, and you go, hey, we just, we just wanted to come and see, and everybody's going to tell you we love you guys, and here's a little present, see ya. I mean, literally, that's about a 10-minute thing. I don't know. Maybe they were much longer. Maybe it was 30 minutes. Maybe it was even an hour, but it wasn't a long time. It wasn't like Mary. This was different for Mary. I mean, she is has protected and nourished, nourished this little life for nine months in her womb. Finally, she gets to meet this miracle child. He needs to get fed. He needs to be bathed. He needs to have his diaper changed. He needs to be coddled, loved, kissed. I mean, think about this for a second. In, in my mind, I, I, I can just picture, you know, every, whatever, what does every new mom do? Kind of just sit there and just love and begin to sing softly. Here she is rocking and singing the God of the universe to sleep. What a moment. Look at verse 20. It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen that had been told them. So in other words, their lives are changed completely. They're praising God. They're telling every single person there is. Verse 21, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, talking about Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. So in other words, Joseph and Mary do the right thing. They fulfill the law, which, by the way, Jesus later in the Sermon on the Mount said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. His life was the fulfillment of the law. So, think about this for a second. You've got the angel's reaction, which is praise. You've got the shepherd's reaction, which is praise. You've got Mary's reaction, which is this loving devotion, which translated praise but there's one more yours you could not have read through this in the first century you could not have read through this and wonder but what about me what's my reaction when the king came lives were changed and people praised God How does that happen? It happens when we believe. It happens when we trust. We put our confidence in. We begin that relationship with the one who's causing our heart to beat hard. Maybe that's you. Maybe today that is you. Um, you've heard the story. The question is, what are you going to do with the king? The one that came in humility so that we could become the righteousness of God. You know, 1 John, or John chapter 1 tells us that to all who believe, God gave them the right to become children of God. The question is, do you believe? Have you trusted? 
Have you put your confidence in God? This is a relational thing. This is not something that you have to have me for or someone around you for. This is something that it is your thing. So the question is, in your mind, is do you believe? Now, I want to tell you why this is perfect for us this morning, because this morning we're going to take communion. And if you didn't grab one of these and you'd like to take communion, I'm going to ask you to simply put your hand up, and we'll have somebody get you one of these. We have people that are kind of all over the place with the communion stuff here. Communion is actually very perfect for this moment right now, because communion is all about the gospel. You see, Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, he says, every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim the fact that God sent his son to come to die on a cross for you and I so that he would take our sin and that we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if I can make that any clearer to you question is, do you believe? And so I want to give you a chance right where you're at. I want you to take a moment right where you're at and stop and do some business with God, just you and him. If you've never asked Christ to come into your life, this is a time to ask him to forgive you and to come and to live inside of you, to, to make him your God, your savior, and he will. If you're a believer, you say, I've done that before, and maybe you've just been away from home, this is the time for you to come home. This is the time for maybe you put some of those things to the side and remember who the king is. Would you take a moment right where you're at? Focus in on you for a minute. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, while he was having dinner with his disciples, he took bread and he stopped and he got their attention and he said, this bread is a reminder of my body being broken for you. Because I'm going to die. Every time we take this, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. passage tells us that a little bit later in the evening, he took a cup. He said, this cup represents my body. No, excuse me, it represents my blood, which is shed for you. Again, as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
that you remember? Look, let me encourage you. If you took a moment to pray that prayer today, we do want to welcome you to the family. But I would encourage you that after this service is over, we have a, a table that's set up back there in the very back against the wall where those high tables are in that corner. And the sign just simply says, follow Jesus. We would love to be able to, to give you some information, some, some helpful little tips that would start this new walk of faith off right. Someone's there to, to answer questions, just to, to, to love you and encourage you, and we'd love it if you just stop there. Um, don't make this a secret. You're making it much harder than it should be. Oh, I'd encourage you to stop by there. Pray with me. Father, we pray that our hearts would be right before you, God. That we could stop and not think of a Christmas song, but we would think of this song as a song of praise, that we might praise you for what you have done. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Who do you think his name is? Hmm? He's the king, come for you, to take what you deserved and give you what you don't deserve his righteousness. There should be no sense here that, that you're just too proud to bring yourself to recognize that. If, if, if that's the case, you have a lot of work to do. And we're here to help you with that. But this should create praise inside of you. I want you to know that there will be a group of people that are going to be down here right after the service is over. They'd love to be able to pray for you, pray with you, just to be here if you need someone to talk to. But we also have that table in the back. Then if you, if you today, you said, you know, I, I believe today I, I began my relationship with Christ. I prayed, I asked God to forgive me. I asked him to come my life. Please stop there. Let us help you succeed in this new walk with Christ. That last line in that song, his name is Emmanuel. God with us. That's good news, folks. Live like it. God bless you. Love you all.